the hard truth. Tony Schaefer, powered by Sig Sauer, never settled. I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carried the best. The best is Sig Sauer. We are on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, also available on the America Out Loud Podcast Network. Check us out, Project Sentinel at projectsentinel.com and the London Center for Policy Research, londoncenter.org. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, every known social media site on the planet. So here we are with a very special guest, my friend, uh, Wayne Black. Uh, Wayne Black and Associates is his company. He's written a new book called School, School Insecurity, uh, and being in parentheses, uh, a, a comprehensive guide for parents, educators, on school security, protecting children, and fostering a safe learning environment by Wayne Black. It's all, I, it, 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 I saw it on the internet. It must be true, right, Wayne? I mean, that's that's the Thank deal. You. Right? Thanks yeah, for so, having me, guys. Thank so you. You're, you're, good to be here. And, and also, we're joined by a, a special guest, uh, British Lieutenant Colonel, retired, uh, Tim Wilson. Uh, he's now an American citizen. Tim, I, by the way, I've always wanted to ask you a question. Was that requirement for having uh, reasonable teeth too much when they asked you to, to when when they were trying to get you uh, to be a U.S. citizen? Was that was that over the top or was that okay? Oh, Tony, what can I tell you apart from now that I am an American, I'm quite happy to be a revolutionary. And, That's good. Uh, the, the the dental care is a, 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 I, a I additional benefit. I know, I know. Well, you know, it's just it's just so important that we uh, kind of hash out. Uh, and discriminate properly who we should bring in as, as citizens. So I think that the the reasonable teeth requirement is not too much to ask. You know, just saying. But uh, but here we are. So uh, so today we're going to go through with Wayne to talk about a number of things. So let's start off uh, with Wayne's background. So you know Wayne has been a friend of the center. Uh, Wayne has helped me through some issues. Uh, he's an amazing man who is uh, completely devoted to his 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 art. And let's let's be clear. Security is an art. It's not a tactical or technical function. You have to understand things well beyond what's in front of you. So uh, let's start with the guy who you protected for a long time, Wayne, a guy named Don Rumsfeld. So let's talk about your time with Don a little bit. I did. What a great experience that was. I, yeah. I protected him for a decade, as you know, and um, you and you and he spoke at, at events and things like that. He thought yeah. very highly, highly of you. Thank you. Uh, he's at Ar- he's at Arlington today, and you know we miss him. But uh, a great man. Uh, we we traveled all over the, the world together through the Rumsfeld Foundation. Right. Uh, every every summer we went to one of the stands, the Central Asia Caucuses, and things like that. Plus all the book signings he had, the three books, Known and Unknown, Rumsfeld's Rules, and When the Center Held about his relationship with Gerald Ford. So um, he was really super active and played handball and everything and until he passed away at age 87. But it was an honor. It was an honor to be with him. And I think that's the thing people don't understand, you know, and um, is that he was very active and doing good things, trying to actually do the hard work of bringing people together, running this foundation. Uh, This has not been publicly acknowledged, but I'll acknowledge it here. He was supporting our Team B. As as some of the audience knows, we ran a Team B for uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Joe Dunford. When, when Chairman John Dunford was working for President Obama and then also President Trump, we were working. Uh, uh, Don helped uh, provide a, a bit of funding. He wasn't one of the primary donors, but he did provide some funding to that. And one of the things I just want to do, because this is very unpopular, even some of our own staff are not fans of Don Rumsfeld, just saying I am clearly, is that I think Don was uh, had come to the recognition that during his time as SecDef, 
he wasn't always told the truth. And l- let me just say this up front for the audience to understand. We, he and I were uh, at, in dis- at odds on something called Able Danger, which was the pre-9-11 effort to go after Al-Qaeda. Don did not did not originate it, but he was in office as SecDef when I had to become a whistleblower. And I know at the time he made, uh, he, he didn't go after me publicly, and I appreciate that. It, he was just, he just said basically when he was asked back when in 2003, it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma. He didn't really address it. And uh, one day we were sitting in the Fox News green room in D.C. And I, I looked across. He was sitting across from me when we were, you know, I said, Mr. Secretary, good to see you. Good to see you, too. And he said, uh, and I said, you know, uh, Mr. Secretary, there's something between us. And he gave me this smile. You, you've probably seen it a dozen times, kind of this rawery, like I've got all the information uh, and, and what do you what, what do you want to say to this? And I said, you know, Mr. Secretary, we have something something between us. And he smiled at me. He says, "Yeah, able danger." And I was just shocked that he like knew it. I was like, "How did he know that?" And so he looked at me and says, "Tony, why is that? Why is that between us?" And I said, "Well, you were lied to. Uh, we were working to try to find a way to map and defeat Al Qaeda before 9-11. Uh, simply put, people were trying to, to make sure you didn't know the truth. And I think you were lied to. And he looked me square in the eye and said, Tony, this was not the only thing they lied to me about. So I, I just I just want that for the record to be out there, that that's that's where Don and I had our rec- reconciliation, if you will, on this on this event at, at the night. By, by the way, we were there to do uh, segments on Fox on the 9-11 attack. So this was very much, maybe that's why he was, it was right to quote uh, Jean-Luc Pierre, Picard, uh, Corrine, whatever her name is, top of mind. Maybe that's why it was top of mind for him at the time. But I do believe that it was important to recognize that Rumsfeld, Don Rumsfeld was always thinking. He never stopped being engaged. And the fact that he actually recognized that between us years later, but like 10 years later was significant. So Wayne, I can only imagine what a great, uh, 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 experience it was for you to work with Don. If I may, it was just, great. If I may just jump in with one little yeah. story as an outsider at that time. On 9-11, I was working uh, in the Balkans in Kosovo. We watched the 9-11 attacks occurring. We were all called into the uh, talk. And uh, it was fascinating because one of the things that became very clear was when they ran the video of the attack on the Pentagon, you saw almost the classic of 50 to 60 percent of people that had got out of the building standing around in a daze, another 20, 30 percent running away, and the other 10, real 10 percent heading back in to try and help people. And clearly in the video of that group of people running in to try and help people, there was Don Rumsfeld. Yeah. That was impressive. Yeah. Yeah. His his detail wanted to move him. And you can see this on video. Yep. He's, yeah. they, they wanted to move him out. He's carrying stretchers. Yep. Well, the building is smoking, so that says everything about the man. Yep. Well, he was a na- he was a naval aviator too, as I recall. Is that correct? Uh, he was. Yeah. He went. Remember, he went to Prince. He went to Princeton on a wrestling scholarship. Came yeah. out and went, and then went into the Navy and was an aviator, was an instructor, um, and then he went back to Cook County and ran for for office and won. He had like three hundred dollars and won, and uh, he, that's where he met Gerald Ford in Congress. Yeah. So I just I just think um, there's too much information that is not accurate about 
Don Rumsfeld. And I think that he's been bad mouthed for a lot of the wrong reasons. So I'll just leave it at that. But speaking of, of bad mouthing for the right reasons, uh, Wayne, I think one of the reasons your book is going to be so important is because there's an environment that's been created by the larger national insecurity regarding uh, fentanyl coming through the border, uh, the cartels controlling the border. Yeah, this is a fallacy that there that we they're, they're, that the border is open. The border is not open. It's controlled completely by the cartels. You can't go uh, south to north without getting a nod or paying off someone to go through. I'm just telling you, it's like, you know, it's, it's well controlled, just not by us. And so, uh, you know, and, and full disclosure, Wayne sent me a copy of his book. And by the way, we'll make sure we have a link to the book and, and everything on our website as we do this. Uh, but I gave, I gave my copy that, 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 uh, Wayne sent me to my, my boss on the Homeland Security side, Sheriff Dave Decatur. I'm his, I'm Sheriff Decatur's Homeland Security advisor. Decatur's got it. Decatur is engaged in what I believe to be back best practices. That's why, by the way, for the audience to understand, that's why I gave it, gave Wayne's book to, to Sheriff Decatur's because best practices is what we should all have. Correct. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the goal here. So, uh, how do you assess, Wayne, where we're going as a nation relating to these larger national issues, which uh, is, it, it, this their failures at the national level have made your book so much important, more important? I think so, too, Tony. Thank you. Um, the fentanyl thing is a huge deal. I mean, I see schools around the country buying Narcan, and if they don't have Narcan on hand, I recommend it when I do an assessment. Uh, Narcan and tourniquets. Uh, is what what we recommend primarily for recovery. Um, but yeah, the border is just a huge mess. Um, we've got more human trafficking, more more slavery now than we ever did, largely right. because of that border. So yeah, and and uh, Tim, do you want to jump in? And well, I, I agree. I mean, the the frightening thing is also to see the way that the 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 fentanyl comes across freely. And now we're seeing a transition because Narcan works. There, there's something of a transition to ketamine uh, and ketamine byproducts. And that's frightening because Narcan doesn't work on that. As, right. as if this is, um, I should put this, foreign influence and foreign actions are resulting in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans. And it's going to move to millions of Americans. It, it is millions of Americans over the time scale. But not to have a border to be able to prevent this and having the cartels, the drug runners in charge of the border. So they're making money, not just by drug running, but also now by human trafficking. And as Tony says, sex, trade, slavery, the whole issue is there. And this is, a, is going into our schools and the, the weight being very much on the border um, areas is just wrong. And that's where I'm delighted to see governors like Greg Abbott bussing these people through. And it's fascinating to now see New York City Mayor Adams complaining that he can't cope, Chicago Mayor complaining he can't cope with the influx. By comparison, it's a tiny percent of what the border cities are having to deal with. Well, let's talk yeah, the, about that. Yeah, go ahead, Wayne. I'm sorry. Yeah, the cartels are in charge of Mexico also. And now they're in charge of our border. I mean, Mexico is a failed state. The cartels are more of a clear and present danger than guys like Pablo Escobar in Colombia ever were. Yep. I mean, that's like Pablo Escobar is like Disneyland compared to these guys. And well, that's the issue. So, so much of what we're seeing at the national level is replicated in certain jurisdictions. 
I live in rural North Carolina. We're a very red area. Uh, I think the schools have engaged uh, primarily and and um, doing what's necessary based on the threat. So part of this issue, obviously, Wayne, you do threat assessments, right? You, you do essentially red teaming. You do detailed reviews of that of those issues. One of the things I'm going to ask you to comment on, I don't want to get you in trouble, is that not all regions are created equal. And as Tim was saying, some of these cities, I think you're much more prone because of culture. So much of what you have to deal with is because of a failure of culture. It's not only about the fact that schools are uh, need to be protected. The fact is certain jurisdictions, uh, New York, Philadelphia, uh, Detroit, Chicago, uh, let's see, Mar Baltimore, DC, many of these places uh, have created uh, essentially their own problems by the fact that there is lawlessness, that they've created serial gun-free zones, they've created conditions for uh, victimization, and, and I mean victimization in that, that people are taught to be victims and therefore uh, either you're a sheep and you're unarmed or you become a predator and you're armed. So part of this, I think, Wayne, is the fact that we just don't have um, a nationwide uh, direction of culture. The cultures in these in these blue cities are the. I think the culture itself is part of the problem. What do you What do you think about that? No, I agree with you, Tony. And look, let's let's just call it what it is. I mean, I can't get in trouble. I mean, the good news is I'm not running for office and I cannot be fired, which which means I can I can tell the truth. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I see it all over the United States. It's largely political. Yeah. Um, yeah. Colorado, for example, um, mostly blue. They want to take guns away from school resource officers. They want yeah. to be anti-guns. Um, wow. Other, we're lucky to be in Florida, Florida and Texas. They require an armed SRO at a school, and they require assessment tools and things like that. But it's all over the map. Uh, Delaware, for example, I was up there recently. is split down the middle. Some of the private schools are armed, and some of them are not. Um, but a lot of them are bigger, are bigger targets. Wayne, can I just jump in and say one of the things that's very clear is it, it sort of in many ways comes down to trust. And the left, the gun control people don't trust people straightforward, yet they trust people in uniform. Well, that's fascinating because we know from statistics facts that people with a concealed carry permit are four times less likely to commit a crime than a police officer. And you you can trust people and of all the people you can trust surely it must be that teachers are way up the list as people we should be able to trust so preventing them from carrying firearms if they want to is just ridiculous it's it's playing with the lives of our children yeah you know there's something to think about that tony will recognize this tactically if you're if your teacher has to go to gun you're in that last 10% of survival. So yeah. your, your, your plan has failed. Your perimeter has failed. If you've got a shooter inside the school, you're in deep trouble. So yeah. the, tr the trick, and I mentioned this in the book, is to have layers of security and keep the shooter out of the school. Right. But the Secret, Secret Service does that with the president. They do that at sporting events. And look, our kids are just as important as the president of the United States. So I don't know why we have this normalcy bias in some jurisdictions, mostly political. But yeah. when I hear, when I go to a school and I say, do you have a director of security? And they say, no, but we have a security committee 
And we do this by consensus. Well, security doesn't work by consensus. You're either secure or you're not secure. That was one of my points. So in many bureaucracies, Wayne, as you know, uh, an action passed is an action completed. Right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I reviewed the memo and I signed off on it, so I'm not responsible. And Wayne, you have to admit, I, you know, I'm sorry I have to disagree with you. You know, it's very important for teachers to go to Las Vegas for improvement sessions. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, uh, when, when you see funding and you say you want to cut that and secure kids, I don't know. That's, that's, that may be a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, yeah but that's I, amazing. I mean, but I'm just saying, but you, you know, that's the argument you get. So, well, you know, God, our money is all tied up. I mean, I hate to think that we're going to have to take the, the filet mignons out of the, the teacher's lounge on Friday. I mean, what are we going to do? Yep. Well, that's what parents need to ask them. When they go to the, those meetings, those school board meetings I want them to go to and say, who's in charge of security? What's your budget for security? Yeah. And if they say, well, this year we only have $30,000 for an SRO, maybe next year, then then ask them, what about that Vegas trip that you guys go to the <laughs> teacher's conference? Yep. Come on. And then and then parents and grandparents say, what? they got to ask this question. This will automatically cause silence in the room. What is my child's life worth? Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about that for a second, about the value of, of the security equation. So again, I, I'm going to reference Sheriff Dave Decatur. Dave Decatur had to go through this about uh, four years ago. I was there for part of it. Um, and as they went through, they recognized that school resource officers were going to be part of the solution. And they started looking for retired military folks who had some level of baseline training. And Wayne, to your point, I think in the other podcast I listened to, you talked about someone who's essentially a form of deputized. I mean, they're not a full-blown sheriff. But they're they are they have sufficient training to be able to effectively use firearms, and like you point out, that you're you're paying a certain amount of money for that guy in the school, but he's got a hundred guys who who are free who are going to show up when something happens, right? Absolutely, yep. Well, they just you pay for that one guy, and he's got that radio on his shoulder, and you got you've got everybody else coming to his aid. But and then, but to your point also. Uh, when seconds count, they're minutes away. So that guy also has to be the tactical guy on the spot to do something. So when you do a threat assessment, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to give away anything. I'm, I want people to pick up the book so they read this book. You know, they don't like uh, get everything from our interview here. How do you go about starting a threat assessment where basically you have a friendly? I'm going to ask you a point of question. A friendly district, like you know, Sheriff Dave Decatur. You know, Dave, I'm sure would welcome you coming in if a school said, "Hey, we want to do this." You know, it would be a friendly, like very engaging thing. How do you do a friendly uh, threat evaluation versus one you know you're going to get some pushback? How, how do you, is there a difference in how you do those evaluations? Well, I do them the same way to, uh, to begin with, Tony. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite things to do, and I recommend parents do this, is park your car on school ground and walk, see if you can walk into a classroom. Now, if yeah. you have a carry per if you have a carry permit or you're carrying a concealed weapon, don't do that. That'd be a crime. But park your car and walk into a classroom. Many times I have a meeting, let's say, at 9 o'clock with the principal to start an assessment, and he finds me at 845 sitting in a classroom with the kids. Un unfettered, unapproached. So that is a huge problem. Parents can oh, yeah. do that on their own. If they can do that, if they can just walk right in. There's no choke points, no no area where that's that's has overwatch that's a that's a huge deal 
So the other thing is I, I tell it like it is in my draft report. So yeah. I, inter I interview the school nurse teachers and I ask, I ask them questions like, are you afraid? Are you feel good? Typically, the teacher will say, well, look, don't tell anybody, but here's our problem. We, our door locks don't work. We don't have comms between, you know, and radios, for example. You can get, I was at a school yesterday, told them about radios. You can get a radio for $13 that has 16 channels, and you can talk all across the school. Every teacher should have a radio, especially when they go out on the playground. They see somebody suspicious. They can call it in. They can go to lockdown, and everybody would know. A lot of these apps are nice, but they, the apps are reactive. You need to be real time. Um, so, but it's Tony, it's been all over the map. I mean, from a lot of people say, well, I can't believe you told us all that in the report. And, you know, now I wonder if we're going to get sued all the way to that's great. We're going to well, do it. Typic, typically private me, I, schools. Look, yep. I had to, I had to do a threat assessment on, for the Pentagon and they wanted no papers. Like, yeah, we know we have problems. So, I mean, no, yep. literally, I mean, I, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, I had a credible threat, you know, Wayne, this credible threat against my life back in that, that, that turning tool during that time, you know, the pre Pentagon briefed me, as you remember. And they asked me, it's like, what do you think of our new security setup? It's like, it sucks. It sucks. We just spent $10 million on it. It's like, it's, you've made it worse. You've put, you've put the path of, of, of processing into the Pentagon instead of having an outside building. And it says like, well, could you come do an assessment and don't put anything down on papers? Like, Sure, anything for you all. But that's true. I mean, they're always worried about the liability. But to Wayne, if they're worried about liability, that tells me a lot about their attitude then, right? I mean, that's got to be a huge, huge clue if they're worried about liability instead of fixing things. Right. It's a, Look, it really should be about the kids. They should right. do it, a, a, you know, which is the reason we wrote the book, A Labor of Love. Protect those kids. And I guarantee you, I hate to say this, but there's going to be more. There's going to be one, you know, this year, probably another school shooting. And then we're going to hear about, well, we knew, but we didn't think it would happen. Look, the other thing is, just like in the military, schools have got a failure of imagination. They don't imagine these things would happen. We didn't imagine Pearl Harbor, the USS Cole, the 9-11. We didn't imagine that. Our psychic doesn't allow us to think like the enemy. Right. And then going, going back to the border, these guys from 60 different countries, Syria, Nigeria, all those guys coming across the border with a brand new cell phone are not coming to pick strawberries. They're coming to screw with us and attack us again. And if the school has a name like American University or, or United States Academy or something like that, that's provocative. That's what they're, they're, they're going to be, I think, an automatic target. So, um, so the last thing I want to, we're getting down to the closing out the first half of the show one of the things I, I do want to ask you, and I, I don't hope it doesn't give up anything. What is the most common? I, I don't think there's going to be a single one. What is the most common major outside of budget and resistance politically, which I'm sure you see all the time, even even some some of the best districts, the, 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 the numbers issue, budget's always going to be an issue. What is the biggest common failure of security you observe overall in most of these eva evaluations you do? Um, committees, schools, <laughs> school security I committees. I should be laughing, but I am. Yes. No, they, they, we have a committee. They, they, we can do it. We understand. We're going to, we're going to talk about security. They bring in an IT guy. He's going to plug in his own cameras. And typically he's, he, the IT guy is buying Hick vision, Hike vision cameras, which is, which is, there's a company owned by the people's Republic of China that yeah. they monitor. 
So I see that all the time. They're $39 a camera, and so they plug them in, and they think that they're secure, but nobody watches the camera. So I, I see that. And I often, I've told security committees before, if you all have a committee to do school security, I may start doing appendectomies in the parking lot or something uh, on weekends because that's the same that's the same concept. They don't know, Tony and Tim, they don't know what they don't know. So that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, when you go through and actually expl explore and expose these bureaucrats or some, I, you know, sometimes you have elected officials who I'm sure are very resistant to this. What do you do to actually emphasize you need to do something or else? I mean, without being over the top. I mean, I know you can be very blunt. How do you do that? So my report is in three sections, findings, recommendations, and options. Recommendations are, are things they need to do pretty ricky tick. Yeah. And so in some, I mean, I'm giving them, it's a draft report, uh, but that's really, it's a hand grenade with a pin pulled, Tony. And <laughs> by God, they better do something um, because it'll come up later. That's good. And, and, yeah. Can I just make one quick comment as well, which is... Yeah, be very quick. We're going to wrap up. Uh, when you talk about the the, uh, the the committees, and one of the things there is you, basically what you're saying is a lot of ignorant people putting forward ignorant opinions. Yeah, a very quick question to ask anybody to get an idea of how much they know about it is when was the first school shooting in America? And the answer is it in 1736. Um, it, it's worth looking up the history of that one. Well, we'll look yep. it up after the break. We'll come back uh, for part two of the show. This is The Hard Truth with Tony Shaper. Y'all stand by, and we'll be right back. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. 
boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. Hey, this is The Hard Truth, part two with Tony Schaefer, powered by Six Tower, Never Settle. I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carried the best. I recommend you carry the best. Carry Six Tower. We're on the America Out Loud talk radio network. Also available on the America Out Loud podcast network. Check us out. Project Sentinel, projectsentinel.com, londoncenter.org, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a quick shout out to our friend, Cherie Curry, who does our bumper and theme music. So Cherie, always appreciate your contribution. We're going to have her on soon. Right, Chris? I can't hear you, Chris. Well, he's on mute. Yes, we <laughs> Yes, we are. That's yes, good, we are. good to have the executive producer jump in and confirm he's, what I'm he's saying. He's working. He's yeah. working. <laughs> and, then, and then so, but today, uh, no Cherie, but we do have Wayne Black. Wayne Black of Wayne Black and Associates. We're talking today about his book, School Insecurity, uh, a comprehensive guide for parents and educators on school security, protecting your children and fostering a safe learning environment and uh, not allowing teachers to go to Las Vegas to get drunk and pretend to be learning. So there you go. That's the I, I added that last part to the title there, Wayne. It's not really on the book, just saying. So thank you. So we're, we're back to part two. We're going to continue our discussion with the extended group. We're joined by Tanya Miller, the evervescent Tanya Miller. The, uh, the 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 constant constantly vigilant Elizabeth Breckenkamp, the 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 uh, lieutenant colonel with great teeth Tim Wilson, and of course Chris Cordani from uh, 
the great white north although rally ho it's not that's right so <laughs> so here so here we go with part two uh let's go with tanya tanya was actually a teacher uh, she actually spent a lot of time in Indiana, so she had some observations. Tanya, what anything for Wayne you want to go through real quick? Uh, sure. Thanks for being with us, uh, Wayne. Uh, Mr. Wayne Black. Uh, again, this, the book is School Insecurity. And uh, from what I understand, the book is actually a, more like a it's, it's not like some big, massive book that people got to worry about reading to understand. It's a it's a, a comprehensive uh, kind of like a directive checklist for the parents so they can use it as a tool to go to their school board, the school board meetings, um, talk amongst themselves, whatever it is that they need to say, hey, this is this is some of the questions. These are some of the concerns I have or the parents. So I would think anybody involved with the school or children would have interest in this, this smaller book that they could consume very quickly that are going to have the points that they can use that will guide them for these very meetings. They don't have to kind of figure it all out for themselves. It, it Even things that they hadn't thought about, it's going to be there for them. And that's what I think is valuable. So at minimum, this should be in every, you know, every school, every teacher's hands, every administrator and those involved. This is something that they should invest in. And you brought something up during the uh, point. And I know Elizabeth and, and Tim, we have uh, much more to cover but what I would like to bring up is what you shared at the first part with Tony on what it's like for teachers. Um, yeah. I do note, um, I expressed to Tony my concern what I had to deal with as a, as a teacher. I, I very much enjoyed teaching in a public school in an urban uh, area in Indiana, which is where I'm from, my home state. And um, I was the first classroom at the entrance of the student entrance from the school buses. And we didn't have a security camera that covered my classroom space. Um, we also didn't have any escape to get out other than the door. The window, it was made into a classroom out of a full classroom size into a half classroom. And because I ran a special program, I worked all year long, was not part of the school uh, union or teachers union. I, was, uh, I went to college for teaching, but I was actually a government employee through the Department of Workforce Development who was hired to work in the schools. Anyway, there was no escape for our students in my classroom other than the front, out of our door. The window was so small you couldn't get out. So we also didn't have a um, one button type situation for an emergency. I was constantly concerned about what is the number that I call, which dean can I get a hold of if something goes wrong? The only um, saving grace that I felt I had, I was right by the um, attendance office. The attendance office did have a window and they had a system where the door would be unlocked if their attendant could see who was at the door and could unlock it from their window. And oftentimes there would be a student coming in and out and therefore, they'd see somebody they recognize, they buzz it in. But then, of course, the problem of propping the door open. We also did have a security, right. uh, mm -hmm. somebody at the door, which I did appreciate. We had officers from the police department who would work um, mm -hmm. various entrances off and on. Um, but they can't be everywhere all the time. They also can't do anything if somebody's propping the door open or buzzing it open. Um, but if they're looking down at their newspaper or they're talking to a student, things like that, there's room for a breach. 
all the time. And I saw that. So there was concern. I was there for nearly eight years. Um, <clears throat> I had gone separately to a, a shooter train, live shooter type training. Um, and that helped me some, but what it did show me was how many weaknesses and how many different areas that I still felt we need to come together on this. And yeah. I just felt unprepared and I know I'm not the only one. So thank you yeah. for this book. And I really encourage parents to please check this one out. I hear That's that all the time, uh, Tanya. Thanks. I hear that all the time. It's all about the plan. The side with the best plan wins. A purse snatcher has a 30-second plan. A bank robber has a two-week plan. A terrorist has a 10-year plan. If our plan is better, we win. If not, we lose. So mm -hmm. uh, what you just said is, is, I hear that all the time. Well, thank you for what you've provided because this is something that we can use. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you for the time you put into it. All right. So, so yeah, I was, I was going through the checklist also. Um, um, I was just going through that Um actually last night and then I was going through it earlier today and all the questions make a lot of sense. One of the things that um, I know after every single, immediately after um, a school shooting, there's um, a lot of the media talk about, well, where are the police officers? Where is the law enforcement? Where was the, um, the security, you know, the safety school resource officers. And then they talk about, well, should, um, should teachers be armed? And that's a whole separate thing. So I don't, I didn't really see a whole lot. If you had it in there, I'm sorry, I missed it, but I don't know if there's a whole lot of in-depth about, because I know some teachers are comfortable with carrying firearms and others are not. And I'm not going to force that on any teacher because it's, as you, Tanya knows, it's really hard just to be able to, to discipline the kids, teach what you need to teach uh, when you don't have to worry about um, also having a firearm. So, you know, for teachers who are comfortable with that, how do they get training? What would be, is there like a requirement? And I'm thinking that would be really state by state and maybe even county by county. So how does that work um, for yeah. teachers who are comfortable with that? That's a good question. And there's no requirement in, in any state that I know of um, to have teachers qualify. Here's the problem with that. I don't think and I, I, met, I mentioned this before. If you have to go to gun, if you have to get involved in a shootout in a school, 90% of your plans have failed and you're in, you're in deep trouble. Right. So remember this, this, who controls the environment? The answer is the shooter controls the environment. Mm -hmm. If he's, if he or she gets in a school. So um, you're basically helpless. And then what kind of training? It's a big deal tactically mm -hmm. to be able to shoot on the move. Tony can tell you this. You, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a big deal. So you've got yeah. to train Pri a lot of private schools, their security officers, former Leo's or military, are training quarterly. Law enforcement qualifies once a year. These guys shoot quarterly. So, and the other thing is, if you're a female oh. teacher, if you're a female teacher, where do you carry a gun? Yeah. Where do you can where do you conceal it? What do you? Well, and, they have pretty what, clever. They have pretty clever holsters now. You <laughs> around the yeah. thigh, around the leg, but no, still. No, I've, I've I've seen that. But once the once students and people find out the teachers are armed, they especially in a junior high school or high school, they don't have to bring a gun to school. They just get a couple people and overpower the teacher, and now they're armed mm -hmm. in a school. So you can have metal de metal detectors, but the teacher mm -hmm. has a gun. So I I think that's mm -hmm. really like a, a super last resort, and we right. call it a we call it a circular firing squad. When we talk to churches, they oh I've got a permit, let me carry a gun. So you've got in the in a in a mm -hmm. church or a synagogue, if you've got somebody on the three o'clock side and somebody at the nine o'clock side, they have a gun, and something happens, what's going to happen? The, the people with concealed permits are going to shoot each other. Right. So 
I, so that's, I don't know. Well, Wayne, let's I, I agree with you. I mean, you can't have too many guns with good guys if they're not, if they're not coordinated, because obviously you're going to have a shootout and it's not going to. So, but part of what you're saying is deterrence. Uh, one of the things I've had to use at the national level I'm advising all the time is like, it's often the, the term perception is reality is, is an effect here. So the idea here, if you've hardened the school, if a bad guy recognizes, and this has happened in other shootings where if they recognize that, gee, I don't know if people are armed, they say they are, I'd really go to a place where people are not armed. So how do you go about trying to circle that square saying, yeah, we want people to recognize that you go into the school, you penetrate the school, someone's armed, but at the same time, you, you, you have to recognize you don't want too many people armed. So how do you, how do you circle? So in the book, we analyze a bunch of school shootings, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Uvalde, all those. And, and if you look at the recent one in Memphis, the book was released when, that, when this came out, the Memphis shooting, the trans shooter, okay? She went to three or four places to try to shoot, and they were harder targets. So she came to this school, and, oh, and yeah. the video is frightening. She passes all those kids on the, on the playground and then shoots through the door um, and gets in. They had no SRO there. So, and the police, when they finally got there, did a good job, but people were killed in the meantime. So really simple. If they would have, there's this company called American Defense Structures, which has a window film that is ballistic proof. Right. And we're putting that on a lot of schools. So it's nanotechnology. I didn't believe it, Tony. I had, I went to shoot it myself. You can shoot out through it, but you can't shoot into it. That's so that's amazing. Uh, it'll cool. it'll stop a five five six, and you can't see it. So that's one way to keep keep people wow. out. Um, so there are a bunch of things a bunch of things that schools can do. But this is a you know is a last resort if they don't have an SRO and a couple people that are former military teachers or law enforcement or people that are well trained competitive shooters. I think that's a good you know there needs to be a, a, a pistol at or near a school. The only thing that's going to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the key because we don't want all these teachers, every single teacher, we don't want them all armed. Have you been to a school? Do you, do you, do you want half of these teachers? Oh, I'm not saying Some of them wouldn't be able to handle a situation like that. Others, uh, well, they might, uh, they, oh, guys, <laughs> they, they might use it for other means. There we go. I'm going to respectfully disagree. I mean, we've this argument about you, you, can have too many guns and people shooting each other. It hasn't happened. And there have been a number of a lo- awful lot of self-defense, gu- defensive gun use cases where the armed people in the audience have stopped the shooter. And the number of collateral damage casualties has been incredibly low, less than, again, you tend to get with the police. I mean, the shootings mm-hmm. of innocent bystanders by police in New York shows that their standard of training is dropping. And as Wayne said earlier, they train maybe once a year. I yep. think that most American citizens who own guns are responsible gun owners, and they take the rules of gun safety seriously, and they do check their backgrounds. So yep. well, I'm, what they, I'm what, a fan of whatever. If people want to carry a gun, they should be allowed to do so in every situation. Yeah, we Tim, we train people, uh, civilians that have guns and want to get permits. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that you'll be lucky if they can hit a, uh, a, a target, a silhouette target at three yards at first. I'm well aware. So Wayne, they, I'm well aware. They I'm need really to train. Well aware. And, and that's a, finish, that's a stop target. 
But yeah. as, you, as you said, when you get to that last 10%, that is not the time to say, oh, I wish I had one. Well, the issue, part of it, Tim, and just, you know, I mean, I've had to do an assessment of this issue. So, and I'll just go right to the, to, to the issue. So part of our assessment of the Pentagon security was if someone is able to get a weapon past the, the first two layers of security and they're now in the area where you have the, uh, the um, magnetometers looking for, for guns. Basically, for those who have been to the Pentagon, there's a room probably about the size of half a, base, a basketball court that's, mm-hmm. that's multiple rows where people go through the magnetometers. And the people who run those things are not armed. But you have probably about five people who are armed, the actual police officers. Yep. And it's, and part of the scenario was, what if someone comes running through there, full blast, uh, just basically trying to avoid this? Is anybody going to shoot him? No. Because the mm-hmm. issue is you have too many people in, a, in a, a small space. I mean, even a half base, a basketball court is fairly small when you've got all these machines. And, and no one's going to take a chance on shooting someone. So that's the issue. It's like, if you're armed, I think the, you you need to be discretionary of what target you go after. And Absolutely. that really comes down to training. Because, you know, I mean, even that's I right. would shoot at someone. If you're in a crowded room with people who are friendlies, I'm not going to start shooting, you know, John Wayne style at some guy knucklehead running across the room. You're going to want to have him clear out. And this is where you're not going to have two teachers are not going to start shooting off at a threat if they're, they're the, the kids are in a class. Well, and, can I just, and, oh, go ahead. And, and do they, do they, do the teacher shoot somebody if, she, if he or she gets punched, do they yeah. draw their gun? I'd like to share that as, as a teacher, like this for exact, exactly what Wayne has brought up and in, in the very need for this book. Okay. The very need for this conversation, because it just takes somebody bringing up the points in this book during a meeting, uh, a, any kind of staff meeting or public meeting. These people need they need to talk about it because what Tim mm-hmm. said, the same thing. I'm sorry. We there is a lot of conversation to be had here. And I was in a situation where um there could be times where, yes, I would definitely wish that somebody had a weapon outside of the out of the guard that were there. Maybe mm-hmm. the two resource guards or the one that we may have that could be anywhere on campus. And I can tell you there would be times that, yeah, if we knew of certain te- teachers who had this or administrators, deans, whomever, if we had that plan. However, um, I was stuck in the hallway where we didn't even hardly have that many male teachers. Like, who do you have to stand up regardless of weapon to help you? And I have been caught where I was in a, a scuffle. I was trying to prevent a fight between these youth. And then there was a large, one large man that we had, and he stood there and watched me. He, he was over the kids with disabilities, and he did not engage. He watched as these boys started to almost roughhouse me. Hmm. And I've been caught. It was, it was hor- horrible. It was very frightening. And as soon as the bell rings and the kids have their phones on, it's just recording. So it, there's a lot of mayhem that could go down very quickly. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I definitely understand about the need for uh, safety and training, but this is the conversation that needs to be had. And we don't mm-hmm. have enough of the support that we need in general safety outside of gun. We need the manpower, uh, some sort of uh, self-defense type of training and the awareness of what a shooter can do that Wayne brings to the table with mm-hmm. this book. Right. The, what the, you bring up to Tim. Thank you. The trick is to get get in a position where the school practices lockdown, and this is in in the book. 
Lockdown mm -hmm. is the default to mitigate no matter what happens, right? Yeah. Have the school, have good locks in the school, but be able to have a lockdown and isolate those classrooms. Have the local police come train at the school. A lot of sheriff's yeah. offices and PDs do this after hours so they're familiar with the school. Give them a key. How many schools across the country have a situation where the police department has a knockbox like the fire? And I can tell you 1%. And yeah. look, we mm -hmm. look at Uval look at Uvalde. All those, all those incredible uh, people there had to pass away because they didn't have it together. So there's this, mm -hmm. there's this approach of avoidance that we find even with trained or officers that don't train, I should say, uh, like we saw in Uvalde. We call it cowardice, but it's muscle memory and under the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism, they right. just froze. They just froze. Yeah. And so an hour, an hour later, an hour's worth of shooting in the school uh, took the BORTAC officer to come in and neutralize the shooter. See, that's uh, the thing. I mean, you train as you fight, uh, you, and uh, we well, operatives, you spy as you fight. I mean, when you when you go out, mm -hmm. when you learn how to spy, you spy, you know, when you go through spy school, you do it just like you do in the real world, and the same with special operations. So when right. And also in prevention, prevention, because intelligence and prevention and the teachers and the staff and, and the people that are there that are getting the warning, oftentimes there's warning. We all have heard there's warning in advance. There's all these, and you can't, it can't beat every single thing. And we know the tricks of students and all this kind of drama-seeking activity. But a lot of times there's social uh, media and there's all kinds of warnings in advance. And sometimes so, those are the things that need to look at. Too. Yeah. So I, I wish we had more time because I would like to get into that yeah. because I know it's one of the things Decatur has done. We intelligence officers at the federal level are restricted theoretically from looking at that sort of thing. But uh, that is something, Wayne, that I think uh, maybe we come back and talk about more is about the fact that you do have a lot of uh, indicators and in local uh, media. I know that uh, for Stafford County, uh, his department actually has invested resources in examining potential threats on the internet, both from the Antifa and um, uh, BLM perspective, which they've effectively been able to kind of detect. Uh, often there's troubled youth. Uh, I think the other thing factor here, Wayne, uh, is you probably had indicators these kids were troubled. That, as a matter of fact, I think every one of these mass shooters we're on the radar in some form already, yep, right? Yep, yep, yep. They gave us red flags up front. The schools yeah. knew about it. They didn't. They didn't take action. Mm -hmm. They had this approach avoidance. Look, if ah. you can go into a school, a junior high school or high school, sit down in the library on the computers that are open, like <laughs> I did recently out west, and type in pornography and log on to a porn site, and after <laughs> and after that, I typed in Glock pistols, and I was able to order a Glock oh, pistol my. from a junior high school. So. That's a hundred. That's a hundred percent on the school wow. to oh, wow. to, yeah. to filter that out. But wow. it's up, look, it's, it's up to parents. Nothing is going to work like in Loudoun County, Virginia, unless hmm. par unless parents get in there and stand up. Their voice is their power. And that's yeah. what they have to do. Yeah. So I well, guess we also need to be mindful that uh, not every teacher should be armed, and not every right. uh, teacher can handle such a situation. That's right. something that's, that's again, yeah. we should discuss that for another show because there the are way, other yeah. ways to help train. Uh, I would love, right. really like to get Wayne's take on the motivation of these guys and how the media plays into that. Yeah. No, no. Okay. I said, mm, by the way, yes. Wayne, thought about that now that there, you, you may mm. want to add Lizzo to your red team. I think she's available and she can oh, do multiple purposes, uh, both, uh, you know, kind of as, as someone who can see if she can get into the library and then get on the porn site. Just, she could Google herself and see what well, happens. Yeah. That's Tony's yeah, yeah. take on the music scene, but we need uh, yeah. to yeah. go into yeah. Tony's yeah. takes. Yeah. So, yeah, Tony's so takes. Tony takes. Time for Tony's takes. So. Okay. That was my first take, Lizzo.
That's right. <laughs> Tony's taking the music scene here. Tony's takes powered by Sig Sauer. Let's stick with the schools. This trend where school districts are eliminating accelerated math classes from uh, <laughs> curricula in the name of equity has been around for quite a while. Right. It's been gaining steam. These are the, uh, these are apparently the administrators I don't want armed, by the way. Uh, why is that that leftists seem to think instead of trying to help students who are behind a bit advance to understand the subject matter, they constantly, uh, uh, let's say, kneecap the faster ones? Tony, so, what's your take? Uh, well, my take is, um, just to start off with some clarification, uh, Chris, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, algebra, algebra is a fraud perpetrated on us by the ancient Egyptians. There's no such thing as algebra. So uh, I, can see why you, <laughs> I, I can see why that is, you know, people are waking up to that. But uh, regarding basic mathematics, look, wow. there, there's, a, there's a problem in the system where basic home equity, home economic issues are not taught. And the idea here is why give anybody any mathematical uh, benefit because they want people to per pretty much come out of high school and be dependent on the state. And I hate to be that blunt about it, but mm -hmm. high school is not into educating. It's into making, uh, creating a path for those individuals to essentially be indoctrinated to understand that it's not your fault that you can't read because we didn't teach you. Right. It's, it's, it's art. You know, you can go get a government handout at some point. That's what this whole thing about colleges, uh, mm -hmm. this whole uh, stu student loan forgiveness thing. That's not your fault. You took this hundred thousand dollar loan. Uh, it's OK. You can you can live in your parents basement. And we'll give your money back. It's all about victimization. As a matter of fact, Tim uh, mm -hmm. and I talked about this. This is about uh uh, a, a process of creating victims, right, Tim? We talked about absolutely that. right. Victimize. It's so easy to be a victim. It's hard right. to be a free, independent person. Right, right. Unfortunately, I think some of the um, systems can kind of create the mentality of victimhood, even if the youth or the adult that don't want that um, identification or label, they can be treated like that. Um, I was in an advanced math class, and then something occurred, and I couldn't. Uh, come to school for a minute, instead of helping me um, catch up, I was placed back into an intermediate type of course. And that really ruled me out for, I wanted to be an architect back then. I was very skilled. I took all the advanced CAD courses. I was the only female in the, back in the day uh, for that. And instead of getting uh, help to do that and go to that, um, I, it was ignored. And I was treated right. and then later, not advanced on to college. You weren't on college tracks. Like, okay, I'll get myself there anyway. And so mm. I don't know the details of that, but there's room for all of it. Those students who have the capability of having advanced courses should have that opportunity. If there's not enough students for the counselor to put in that course, then they have uh, trade schools and whatever online that they can do now. Right. But right. there right. is a hardship for those who are left behind. Right. And like Honey, Tony said, to to the next take. home economics, they, they, they need the basics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, here's another quick, we have to do a quick take on this one. Joe Biden, after arousing no comment when asked about the uh, <laughs> when asked oh. about the uh, Maui fires, said yeah. on Tuesday that he and Jill Biden were going to go visit the uh, or were planning to visit the site. However, at this point, they didn't want to get in the way. It tells me a bit. What does it tell you, Tony? So it tells me that uh, any time that you actually have the need to show compassion. Uh, Joe's got other things he's got to do. I mean, that beach in Delaware is much more important than the beach in Maui, clearly, right? 
apparently. And the other thing, and they have, and they have chocolate ice cream on, at the beach. On I'm going to go off on right now. The idea that somehow we're sending billions to Ukraine, and yet he's only going to give seven hundred dollars per person to the victims of per of family. Insane. Per family, that's insane. That's beyond insane. Uh, the mm -hmm. fact is that 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 uh, that I I'm I look I'm not I'm neutral in in the war regarding Ukraine. I don't think we should be on either side. That's just my feeling. But the idea that once you've paid thirteen billion dollars to the Ukrainians and you're offering seven hundred dollars per person per family mm -hmm. for those who are actually victimized in a in a state a blue state. Tanya can attest to this. Hawaii is not cheap. So mm -hmm. you know. It's, it's yeah. Well, we don't need him. We don't need Jill. We need their money and we need their compassion. That's, That's right. What we need. So anyway, but speaking they of have their compassion, we're going to jump off yeah. this at the end of the show. Uh, Wayne, God bless you. Thanks for being here for us. Uh, thank you for your book, uh, School and Security, the, the Comprehensive Guide for Parents and Schools. Uh, we'd like to have you back sometime to talk more detail about this and, and get some feedback on how you're, you're doing this. And uh, thanks to the crew. We're always here every week uh, on Hard Truth. We will be back next week again, so we'll see you then. Thanks for being here, and uh, signing off for now.